The bookstore scene isn't what it used to be, but New York City is still home to some remarkable booksellers, including Argosy Books, the city's oldest independent bookstore, and The Strand, arguably the most recognizable bookshop in the city. Hi, I'm George Boldarki, and this is Cityscape. In this episode, we're diving into the story of Café Con Libros, an intersectional feminist community bookstore and coffee shop in Brooklyn. It aims to create a vibrant community space where everyone, specifically female-identified folks, feel centered, affirmed, and celebrated. Kalima DeSeuss is the owner of the shop. She joins us this week to talk about the inspiration behind Café Con Libros, the recent Boxed Out campaign, and what it means to be a black female business owner in 2020. Kalima, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate this. So first and foremost, are you open in the midst of this coronavirus pandemic? We are open. We were closed from March to June, and then we opened mid-June, and we've been open with limited service from June to September. No one was able to open, sort of come into the cafe. Um, however, from about mid-September, late September till now, we've allowed two people to come into the cafe at the same time, browse books and buy coffee. What was that like for you to have to shut your doors in March and not be able to reopen for so many months? It was interesting because we made the decision to shut. We didn't have to because we sell pastries and we sell coffee, so we're considered essential services. And so we were debating whether or not to, to close. My partner works there, and his main concern was um, was staying open. And my main concern was the, the health of our family. And then we, we had a discussion because we live in a basement apartment of a house where my, my mom lives upstairs, and she's 72. And so we had to make a decision based on her age and our baby, who is um, two years old, and even ourselves. Um, but it was a tough decision to make for many, you know, as many different dynamics as how do we keep the business striving and well and sustainable throughout the time. We didn't fully understand what was going on. We didn't know how long it was going to last. We we're like, oh, we're going to be shut down for two weeks. And I was like, we're going to be fine. We can hold it off for two weeks. Right. Um, and, and also, you know, that's an interesting dynamic to have in a partnership. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Those types of difficult discussions. Right. And, really coming to a resolution that works for everyone. But of course, health and family has to come first, right? And yes, and the community, because we are a place where we could easily spread the, the, the virus. We are you know, a business where people can come in as a very small business. Uh, we didn't understand everything at the, you know, at the moment we were closing. We just knew that we had folks six feet apart when they came in in March. Um, we, we, had, we were practicing as many safety precautions, but we didn't really understand everything. Uh, and so in terms of community accountability, we also felt, and I felt really strongly that along with our family, we need to also center the community and to give people less opportunity to spread the virus. Let's talk about your place in the community and your roots in this community, which run deep, right? Very deep, yes. I was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. I grew up on Eastern Parkway in Franklin, so it was about a seven, eight-minute walk from my bookstore. My entire immigrant family have lived in that community, up and down the streets from all the way from Ocean Avenue all the way to Prospect, Prospect Place where the bookstore is. And so I, you know, it's a, it's the, that entire community is very personal, intimate to me. I know 
everything about it or I've known everything about it has grown beyond me at this point but it was my playground it was my um, acclimation to the world it was where I met all my good friends and some of them still live there you said your immigrant family tell me your family's history where did they come from yeah my family is Panamanian I'm first generation American and if anybody knows um, Franklin Avenue Crown Heights Brooklyn they know that that's like Panamanian Central that's Everybody from Panama who comes from Colón or wherever in Panama will make a stop on Franklin Avenue. It used to be the hub spot, um, specifically Kelso Diner, which recently closed down. Um, that's where everybody would make a stop. It, it didn't matter what part of Panama you came from. And so that's my community. That's where like, we, we dominated Franklin Avenue for a very long time. And now things have changed, but you know, my heart is still there and I'm still, you know, I'm still in the area. Fair to say that you didn't aspire necessarily to open a feminist bookstore in Crown Heights, Brooklyn, right? No, not from the beginning. I did know that I was going to have a separate business. I, I knew that, but I was going through a, a lot of very different iterations of what that business could look like, what could be. Um, and it took a couple of years to settle down on a bookstore. And that came about because I have a best friend who owns a European wax center in Newark, New Jersey. Her name is Tamita Williamson. And we've been, we've been friends since we were in the United States Army together in 1996. Yes, I think we met in 1996. Um, and we, we used to talk all the time about a separate business from our traditional work or our paid work. You're a social worker by trade now, right? A proud social worker by trade. Um, and she, you know, we, we would talk about it all the time. What, what are you going to do? What, what are we going to do? And we, we just would name things. And then one day we just had a conversation about, well, where do we invest the, mo the majority of our money? And she invested the majority of her money in, in, um, in, in self-care, in, in facials and um, eyebrows and things of that sort. And I invest my, the majority of my money in books. And that's how I landed at this idea of like, I'm going to own a bookstore. And it went from there. Why throw coffee into it? Why a bookstore coffee shop? Well, good question. Two reasons. Well, multiple reasons, but the two, two main reasons is that at the time I was deciding to open up the bookstore, the book industry was on a slight rise. However, it was, it was also, there was a lot of competition from audiobooks and from um, eBooks. And I felt like I wanted the bookstore to be, first of all, solvent and sustainable all the time. And I, and I did not feel confident that the bookstore by itself would be able to do that. I wanted to create a, a sort of like a, a, a community sense where people could feel like, here are my friends, you know, sort of like that. I don't know if you watched A Different World and in A Different World, there was a space in A Different World called The Pit with Mr. Gaines and everybody would go there and everybody knew each other's name. Everybody had this deep relationship and people were talking politics all the time. And I wanted to have that kind of, of feeling, but I didn't know what I wanted to pair it with. I initially thought about a wine bar, but then I thought I wanted to be more family centered and I didn't want, I didn't know how that I was going to show up and the space is not big enough to really host wine in that, in that sense. So I went to Ethiopia, I ended up going to Ethiopia and coffee is a big thing in Ethiopia. There's entire rituals around Ethiopia. There's a deep and rich history of coffee in the Ethiopian culture. 
and I went to a, a, a coffee shop and the amount of joy in this coffee shop was un, I just I had never experienced it and these were like the, the the local taxi drivers who saw each other every single day and they just this is just their stop on their route and they were just so happy to see each other every single day and I was just like you just saw one another like an hour ago but that was what I wanted to create. And I said, and I, then I had the best coffee in my life because I wasn't even a coffee drinker. I was a tea drinker. I drank chamomile tea all day long. And I had a cup of coffee and I was like, this is what I've been missing out on. Like this feeling, this ritual, this connection, this, this, you know, it was just, it was a powerful experience for me. And then I knew in that moment that if I could come close to creating what they had created there, that I have achieved my goals. And so I put them together. So the name... Cafe Con Libros is a play on Cafe Con Leche, right? Yes, yes, from our Panamanian roots. And I thought it was perfect because it blends my multiple identities together. First, that I am Black. I'm also Latinx. Um, and this is a coffee shop and is a bookstore. And so I felt like it really, it just captured everything that I wanted to sort of give to the community. I wanted this, the name to feel inviting the name to to have a story with a, with its own you know like it, it, the story the, the name has a story that it can carry itself um and i wanted it to feel like this makes sense you know this is it it's, it just makes sense for what the actual business is it is a coffee it's a coffee shop and a bookstore what inspired you to make it a feminist bookstore to focus on that specifically there's none in I think there's only one other feminist bookstore in the nation, but really, um, I don't be prior to probably 2010, maybe, um, I hadn't read books that were written by or about men that was not in the Academy. I only read them because I was assigned them. But when I had a choice, I only read women books written by and for women and specifically black feminist books. I had not read a white feminist book probably until I think 2014 and I'm 41 years old. I've spent my entire life reading black feminist literature. And so my entire identity as a black woman, as a Latinx woman comes from reading black feminist literature. I, and I'm not ashamed to say this. I first read um, James Baldwin, The Fire This Time. I read that in either 2010 and 2011. And that was, I was in my 30s when I read that. And some people have, you know, people come to that later, earlier. I'm an activist. I was an activist for a very long time. So for me to come to it so late was a, is a little bit like jarring to most folks. But then again, I say to them, well, have you read Sister Outsider? Have you read... Um, um, words of fire have, like have you read um, ain't I a woman you know so and they don't even know those books so it's like you know I know what I know all I know is black feminist literature and they know what they know so for me there was no other thing there's no other sort of um, genre of books that I would be remotely interested in or even can speak with any kind of authority than black feminist books and that was exactly how I fashioned my shelves the first time all the every book in that bookstore the first two years the first year and a half that we were open 
were books that I actually physically read myself and it was on my own bookshelf. So that's how I did my inventory. What are among those books? Who are among those authors? So I would tell you, first and foremost, my favorite book in the world is The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison. So um, a staple in my bookstore, Bell Hooks, All About Love. Really, I read that in 2010 as well. Really changed my life. Women Who Run With The Wolves. Um, their Eyes Were Watching God. Women, Class, and Race by Angela Davis. So Sister Outsider, R.G. Lord. Um, my name is Zami, R.G. Lord. Like these are, these are like staple, pro it's staple books that are always on my shelf, always the books that I go to for if I need consultation. Sometimes I, I don't really know the answer to something. Sometimes I'm not really sure where my values lie on a, in a particular issue. And sometimes I just open up those books and I will just read them. And, to, you know, just wherever I land is what I read. And I take that wisdom from there. I will tell you this also. If I had a, men, a section for men where I could put some of my favorite books written by men, I will tell you it would be, would be on those shelves. It would be The Alchemist, 100 Years of Solitude, Giovanni's Room, and The Fire Next Time. Those are some of the top four of my favorite books written by men. Let me ask you this question because you said if you had a section for men, but how important is it for men to read the other books that you're talking about? It's beyond important. And it's, it's actually really urgent in this time, this, it, this particular moment in time, in our social political context and economic context. I think that, no, I don't think, women have been silenced and made invisible on so many issues on so many levels for so long. And we have so much to bring and it's getting exhausting and tiring to always have to fight our way to have a voice. And it's time that we start to raise our boys to respect and to value the role and the opinions of women as equal to theirs. Sometimes I like to make a joke that, you know, men are the lowest species because there's a part of me that really do believe that men are the, the, the lowest species. But if I'm not to be flippant and to just be really serious because this is a very serious moment, women have so many ideas. They have so much capacity, so much to offer, and they are so powerful, which is why we continue to be oppressed, sidelined, and marginalized. That has to end because what we are doing now and what we have followed the leadership thus far has not led us very far. And we need a change in the script. How do you change the script? Well, I think that, that the first thing is to, to start raising young boys to be in genuine relationships, respectful relationships with other women and girls, women and girls that are, that are different from them, who look different from them, who think different from them, who raising our boys to not be intimidated by smart, confident, assertive women, raising our young boys and men to not objectify women to not sideline them, to not abuse, harass, or disrespect. And I think that once we, once we shift our culture in that direction to respect the choices of women, I think that our entire society as a whole will change for the better. That all being said, what does it mean to be a black woman business owner of a feminist bookstore in 2020? It means a lot of things. It means that I am 
probably more insecure um, and more vulnerable than my white counterparts because I know already that I'm stepping into a racist, sexist society. Um, so that I'm holding on to. And that leads me to always want to do better and better and better. And, and I think that that's a great thing on some levels, but I, I hate the, the unspoken pressure that I have to do or I have to be twice or five times as better as my white counterpart to get half of the recognition. I don't mind striving for excellence. You know, I'm a, I'm a daughter of immigrants and a social worker and a U.S. Army veteran. So striving for excellence is just part of my blood and DNA. But I would like to be able to take a break from that sometimes. And I have, over the years, because of Black feminist literature, I have allowed myself to take those breaks. But I also know that I am operating in a particular context. And sometimes I, don't, I can't take those breaks. So th that's part of what it means. It also means that we are now living in a particular time where everybody wants to begin to support Black-owned businesses. And we've been here a long time. You know, Cafe Con Libros is, is pretty new, three years old, but there have been Black-owned businesses and Black-owned businesses by women for a very long time. And I think that there's a, a, a surge in interest based on what happened over the summer. And it's a bittersweet surge because I, I hate that somebody had to die. Breonna Taylor had to die. George Floyd had to die. So that Ahmad had to die so that there will be more focus on Black-owned businesses, more focus on Black people, and more focus on justice. We should just be doing that every single day. So it means that, this bittersweetness of what it, you know, what it means. Um, it also means, it, for me, is also a, a space of pride for me, that I am hopefully inspiring other young girls, and particularly other young Black, Indigenous people of color to to aspire to do what they want to do, to, to take a chance. Because who, when I, when I opened up the bookstore, who would have thought that it would have received so much attention and so much support? It's a feminist bookstore. There is one, if there's anything that you don't want to be on some levels, it's probably feminist and gay, trans. Like there's like, these are things that people don't want to be openly because the world just does not support you in being that. And so if you are a feminist, you're a man hater. And you are, what a ball buster they say? All these like sort of like, like prehistoric labeling that they have to sort of diminish and, and disregard the feminist agenda. Nobody thought that I was going to be successful. People said it was too much of a niche. Like, how can you just sell feminist books? Men are not going to buy it. So it also meant for me to go against the grain because I said, okay, men don't buy it, but women hold up 51% of the world. And so women will buy it and I will be fine. So it, 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 and in this particular time, in this particular administration, it means everything. It means everything in the context of Kamala Harris. It means everything in the context of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. It even means everything in the context of a person like Susan Collins or, you know, all these people, Stacey Abrams, Susan Collins, because she's a problem. Um, Stacey Abrams, all these women across the, the spectrum who are pushing against the grain says that I'm not wrong or I wasn't crazy. I never thought that I was, but people did for believing that it is important to claim space Maxine Waters, claim space for women 
unapologetically and not have men in that space as a centerpiece at all and be okay with that. Who typically walks through your doors? We have a, we have a very diverse group of folks. I have to say in the beginning, people, men would come in and make a joke out of it. Oh, we're not welcome here, blah, 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 blah. And I, and I would just engage them in conversation and go along with their jokes and, you know, whatever. It didn't matter to me. Um, but now we have a, a great group of people, very diverse across the spectrum. There's no one group of folks that come in. It's just, it's a lot of different people just wanting to number one, support, number two, be in community. And number three, they do want to do the work of reading feminist literature, novels, fictions, autobiographies, memoirs, and, you know, crossing those boundaries. And we have a lot of great families who want to begin their children from young, from now, talking about feminist issues and more transgressive and progressive politics, which we have a robust children's section that I spent a lot of time in curating because I have a baby of my own. So, yeah. You recently took part in the American Booksellers Association's National Boxed Out campaign. Now, this was a campaign to draw attention to local bookstores like yours to shop local, right? Don't just go buy online. Right, right. We did. We and that was a that was a a proud moment for Cafe Con Libros. We were able to our platform along with other platforms were able to bring to the national conversation um, the topic of Amazon and the way Amazon is directly and specifically impacting small businesses. And I wrote a blog and I'm gonna reassert that here that I am not against anybody who shops Amazon. We all shop Amazon for very different reasons. I do not think that it's anybody's right to critique um, anybody who's shopping for Amazon with Amazon. That is not our role or to shame folks in doing so, who do so. What it is, is the point we wanted to make is to, to really invite people into dialogue about what it means to make intentional choices to shop indie. And not just independent bookstores, but independent uh, businesses, small businesses in general. We depend on people's money to keep our businesses alive and to keep our communities thriving. If we were to, if, if all small businesses were to, to, to lose their businesses or to close down, communities will close down, shut down, the fabric of that community will unravel. We play a critical role in keeping communities safe, attractive, meaningful, relevant, and culturally specific and relevant in the times. So I hope that we were successful in helping people to understand why it's important to shop local versus to shop on Amazon. As we mentioned, you are still a proud practicing social worker. Are you also still teaching at your alma mater, Hunter College School of Social Work? I am not. I, I've, I taught from 2010 to 2018 throughout various schools of social work in New York City. Um, probably the only school of social work I didn't teach at was Fordham. There's still time. <laughs> <laughs> I decided that um, in 2017, I decided that I wanted to be a mom. And I became a mom in June of 2018. And I decided that there was no more teaching, that my, I have a, a, a classroom of one. And I'm going to commit myself to that classroom of one and to my full-time job at Silverman School of Social Work, which I love, love, love. And um, 
to my baby, my other, my second baby, my firstborn, Cafe Con Libros. That's a full plate. Yes, it is a full plate. What has motherhood taught you? What are you learning from being a mom? I'm learning that I am not, wait, well, I will say this. This is the first thing I'm learning, that I am, my humanity is more powerful than I ever thought it was. Like, I think that I, came, I became more fully who I am as a human having a baby. I've experienced emotions, fears, thoughts that I never thought that I could ever experience. I didn't even have a concept of what it meant to experience these things. And so um, I've become more fully human as a mom. It has also taught me patience and empathy and compassion and has quickened my step towards justice, has is put, you know, social justice and liberation. I have a chain that says liberation. I've worn it for the past 15 years, never taken it off except for surgeries. Meant one thing to me as an individual, but to bring a human being into this world, I am accountable to him. And I am accountable to him to make this world better and to do my part in making this world better. And I have never felt more charged now than I did then you know in my life because I brought him in here and it's my duty to make it a suitable living environment for him how hopeful are you that he be your age in a world where we will not be dealing with this systemic racism where parents won't have to have the talk with young black men that's a good question it depends on what day you catch me on some days I am, I am resolved. I know that we, um, we're going to turn this, this sucker right side up. I know, I feel it. I, those are the days when, you know, I take a look at my books and I am, and my books carry history and they carry wisdom. Um, they, 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 they carry perspective. And so I know that we're going to, everything's going to be all right. Every day I feel that way, but it, it, it depends on what day to what varying degree of how strongly I feel that. Some days I'm very, very sad. Like when I'm listening to what's happening in Pennsylvania and how these folks really believe that, or in Florida, really believe that 45, 45th could not have controlled what happened in the United States of America with COVID-19. Those days I don't feel too good because I, I just can't understand how we continue to let mediocre white men off the hook and people are dying as a result. I, that I don't understand. That makes me very sad. But then I, I listen to what's happening in Arizona with La Lucha and I hear them on the street knocking doors and I know we are on the tails of this systemic racism. You only got but so much time, but we, we, we were on your tail. We're on your tail because we're not going to let up. And as long as we are teaching our children and they are reading the right books and we are pushing back against the system, we are moving in the right direction. So I'm always hopeful, but it depends on what degree, on what day and what degree of hope. You said earlier that you would invest your money in books. To what do you attribute your love of books. 
Oh, my mom and my aunt are the biggest lovers of books that I know. When my mom came to this country, I think she came with either four dresses or six dresses and the rest, and she would call it her, um, I forgot what she called it. She doesn't call it luggage in her grip. She called it a grip. She says the rest were books. And my aunt, there was a time that she would sit and read uh, two or three books in one, in a space of two or three days, just re on the weekend, just read, just continuously. And I watched that. So they, they really impacted my love of books. Also, my mom subscribed to Ebony, Jet, and Essence magazine. I didn't know, I, I didn't know any white models. I didn't know any white folks. I didn't know any of that. All I knew were these beautiful, black, successful, sort of dynamic, outrageous, outrageous in a way, in the sense that they were kicking down doors before I even knew that there were doors to kick down. That's all I knew because I was like thumbing through Essence magazine, thumbing through Ebony magazine. I had my little jet magazine. I didn't even know everything they were talking about. I had no, I was too young to really appreciate the, the sort of the gravity of some of the topics but I knew that these were black people talking about other black people that look like me, who wore their hair natural like me, who didn't have my makeup like me. Like I just saw myself reflected in them and they gave me a vision of who I could be. And so that's where I got it. All right, Kalima, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, I really appreciate this. You can find out more about Cafe Con Libros at cafeconlibrosbk.com. I'm George Boldarki. My thanks to producer Maddie Bristow. Our music is courtesy of bensound.com. Make sure to follow us on Twitter and Facebook at WFUV Cityscape to stay up to date between episodes. Thanks so much for listening.